I prayed about preaching and what I would choose to speak on for a text for today. Psalm 1 starts the Psalter, so I thought that might be a good sermon to start September, especially since I'm familiar with it and I have a weekend course coming up this weekend. I thought that would be a good plan to double up. Besides, since everyone here in person is either, you know, a keen student or uh, a keen supporter of the college, aren't we the blessed ones in this passage? The good girls, the good guys talked about in the text. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get off the hook with this passage and just go in comfort and be reassured? But rather than skimming or scrolling through the text today, what might we notice if we stop and savored? The word of the Lord to us today. When I was sitting with this psalm, do you know what grabbed my attention? I didn't even get out of verse one. And I stepped on the landmine that exploded my preconceptions of what I needed to hear. Here was the line. Or sit in the company of mockers. Or sit in the company of mockers. I didn't see that one coming. How might I be tempted to sit in the company of mockers? How about you? Have you ever found yourself in the scoffer section? Maybe we should designate classes that way. Sort of, this is the scoffer section. This is the uh, I'm attentive and keen section. Well, let's have a candid conversation this morning as if we were a part of a support and recovery group. So how might we introduce ourselves? My name is John and I'm a mocker. Actually, I'm a train mocker. And I first became aware of this problem in the 1980s when I was learning to be a Bible study leader with University Christian Fellowship on campus at Queen's University. I met with the mentor, who was a more seasoned Bible study leader, to debrief how the discussion went. And we talked about some good moments. But then he asked this question, which stopped me in my tracks. Do you realize how much your sarcasm is shutting down conversation and discussion? Ouch. Do you realize how much your sarcasm is shutting down discussion? But in my reflection, I realized that I have honed my skills in sarcasm. My weapon of choice as a trained mocker. See, I've been very involved in competitive debating and model parliament. And I had developed some strategic skills in shredding the arguments of opponents. And particularly, it was the mocking line. Just when the other team was making their point, a mocking line to derail the discussion, to disrupt someone's concentration so that they lost their train of thought. The question was, was anyone on the train anyway? So there was a sense in which that was something I had developed and liked and enjoyed. So while derailing a presentation with sarcasm can win debates, it's deadly for discussion and deadly for biblical meditation. And then I also realized that I had played competitive sports for years where trash talk was common. And I chose more sophisticated versions like sarcasm to egg on my opponents. And yet, I realized that these were two areas of my life where for years I had become a trained mocker. And I had lots of things to unlearn before I could really learn to share hope with gentleness and respect. Now I've tried to break the bad habit of being a mocker and tried to become an encourager. But on my mockery journey, I also discovered that because I'm trained, I have to be careful when I'm drained. 
You see, I realize that I can be a drain mocker because scoffing comes much more easily if I'm too tired, too overextended, feeling a little bit edgy, or just plain grumpy. That's when the mockery lines pop out. I remember reading a number of years ago, a leadership magazine cartoon that sort of stuck with me because I've seen it in myself and I've seen it in other pastoral and ministry leaders. In the cartoon, someone in the church is complaining on and on and on. And the pastor has a fake smile while the complaint is happening. The pastor's thought bubble says, would you shut up and stop your whining? And then the caption of the cartoon reads, you know you need a vacation when? You know you need a vacation when? I don't know about you, but if I regularly neglect Sabbath, if I regularly neglect self-care and my own spiritual formation, my filters get frayed and I become a drain mocker. And then I went to seminary and I struggled with a new style of scoffing. I love Peterson's paraphrase, which has a zinger to ponder. Don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. Don't take your seat among the know-it-alls. If I treat knowledge, even good biblical and theological knowledge, as an end in itself, and not the means to meeting God and building community, then I can become a puffed mocker. The Apostle Paul portrays a puffed mocker in 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Have you ever seen someone puffed up by their studies, their academic skills, their position in the organization, their specialized knowledge, their advanced degrees, and on and on and on? Have you ever been that guy, been that girl? Puffed mocker's sense of superiority does not build community. In fact, usually the puffed up are very good at put downs. They like feeling higher by making someone else feel lower. So with a range of styles of scoffing, we see that sitting in the company of the mockers is so easy to do. What other means of mocking have you and I noticed, either by us or around us? As I was preparing in the last few days, I thought about parroted mockers who simply repeat the mockery of others. In the past, we might have heard a parrot say, Polly want a cracker, Polly want a cracker. Now we might hear parrots say, conspiracy, conspiracy. And then the line gets repeated and repeated and repeated. The problem is if we label someone as an enemy, courtesy is a casualty. And what happens is that stereotypes spur on our scoffing about them. Or maybe you've seen or been a jaded mocker echoing Ecclesiastes about life being meaningless, but forgetting about the invitation that God will make everything beautiful in its time. See, critical thinking is a crucial skill you'll learn here, and it's essential to effective life and ministry. But let's not become perpetually critical, judgmental, jay thinking, man, this is meaningless. Or what about the pharisaical tendency to be a threatened mocker? Before the 
poignant parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Luke 15, verse 2, describes the disdain of the muttered, muttering and threatened mockers. Here's the line. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You can hear the disdain coming off those words. You see, it's easier to mutter and mock than listen and learn from Jesus. What about projected mockers whose stress from one area of life gets transferred to another area of life? And so you don't know where it comes from. Out of the blue, seemingly, it bubbles up, it bursts out because that mockery comes from that stress that they're experiencing elsewhere. I could mention many more styles of mocking. Maybe you have your preferred style that you have. But it seems clear to me that the company of the mockers is among us. And perhaps if we're honest, sometimes within us. And then Psalm 1 gives us another picture to ponder. Verse 4 adds, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. We can easily miss the meaning of this ancient analogy from farming. In digging deeper and preparing for today, I discovered more about the eight-step process of harvesting grain in that day. In the threshing step, several different means could be used to loosen up the grain from the straw. And then next is winnowing. And I quote, winnowing, done by tossing the grain into the air with the winnowing fork so that the wind, which usually came up for a few hours in the afternoon, blew away the straw and the chaff leaving the grain at the winnower's feet. You see, whatever the style of scoffing, Psalm 1 implies that such people become like a scattered mocker, someone so superficial, so shallow, so chaff-like that they are simply blown away. Their influence will not last in the end. You see, with such bad news to face, God actually gives us means of grace Practices that make space, make space for God to work, to touch us, to transform us. We do not have to settle for being scattered by the wind. We can be planted by the water. Psalm 1 verses 2 and 3 invites us, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. The psalmist paints a picture of being blessed, empowered to enter into the fullness of the word of God, the way of God. And when we are planted by the water of God, empowered by the spirit of God, we can replace our trash talk with truth talk. We can choose deep meaning over shallow mocking. Rather than becoming or staying jaded, we can joyfully learn to live and share the truth. To live the truth in love. Psalm 1 and 119 and other passages describe being delighted in meditating on God's word. By the power of the Spirit, Scripture can delight us, inspire us, spark us, Deepen us, touch us, transform us. In what Jan, Jan Johnson calls meeting God in scripture. We have the opportunity 
to meet God, to encounter God when we read the word in such a way. Thankfully, we do not have to be in the right mindset because I know some people think, well, I can't really meditate because, you know, I'm stressed or I'm tired or whatever. And we have all these excuses. Students have particular ones that you're, if I only had more time. Well, when you graduate, you'll say, if I only had more time. When you retire, you hear people say, if I only had more time, and on and on it goes. Thankfully, we do not have to be in the right mindset or have it all together or feel like we're just in the right attitude to meditate. After 168 verses of reflecting on the richness of biblical meditation and study, Psalm 119 closes with prayers of vulnerability. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. If you are crying out to God, if you are longing for more of what God can do, if you are pleading for God's helping hand because you know that on your own, it's not going to go anywhere, then you're actually ready to meditate. You're in the place of vulnerability that the psalmist talks about. So will you join me on this journey of meditating on Scripture, meeting God in Scripture? You see, Psalm 1 inspires more images and implications as we come to scripture with delightful expectancy, being planted and rooted in the living waters produces fruit-filled lives. In Christ-like character, Christ-like impact, Jesus wants us to be fruitful, to bear fruit that lasts, he tells his disciples. On many occasions, biblical meditation gave a fresh perception of a situation, fresh insights that were shaping me or for sharing with someone else or both. So will you join me on that journey of maturity and ministry as God's word is unleashed within us, through us, around us, for an abundant harvest as God's word shapes us in profound ways. See, there are many blessings beyond mockery prevention. While we are unlikely to become totally wither proof. In meditating, we come wither protected. Psalm 1 says, whose leaf does not wither. Meditating helps us become more hardy, more resilient, more persevering, more wither protected, to use the imagery from the psalm. In exploring connections between mental health and spiritual practices, I came across a 2019 book, Finding Quiet, my story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought peace. Listen to this summary of a classic academic. With degrees in philosophy, theology, and chemistry, Dr. Moreland has taught theology and philosophy at several schools throughout the United States. Even after years of teaching theology, years of telling people about encountering God and understanding God, J.P. Moreland was not immune to suffering a mental health breakdown including severe panic attacks. He describes his healing journey over a period of years that included psychological tools, medical treatment, but also meditating on God's word, engaging with biblical laments to pour out his pain to God, integrating other prayer practices. Here's one of the ones he tried as an example. 
As I silently prayed Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I simply sat quietly while opening my heart to God and being receptive to whatever way he wanted to connect with me or speak to me. If nothing happened, I still ended the time with a peaceful, quieted mind and heart. Early on, my mind wandered more and more than it does now. So I would simply bring my focus back on God by offering a word or phrase. A word or phrase of prayer. Abba, Papa, Jesus, peace. I receive you. I love you dearly. Or something like that. I showed self-compassion as I learned to do this because it can be frustrating in the early stages before it becomes a habit. And this is something people often don't grasp when they try biblical meditation, because the first time you get still, you hear all the internal noise, not the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. And so learning to be still, learning to refocus is often a part of the process. How can God's story connect with your story? After working a few decades on my own mockery and my tendency toward it, by God's grace, I continue to discover the many blessings of meditating on God's word, becoming more delighted, more fruit-filled, more wither-protected. So will you join me on this journey of meeting God in God's word, encountering God in ways that touch us and transform us? We're going to sing in a few moments a song, Living Waters, which has these lines. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. Time unbroken, peace unspoken. Rest beside these living waters. Christ is calling. Find refreshing at the cross of living waters. But rather than just saying, whew, message is over. I'll get on with it. What I really need to do today. Let's begin by trying it right now. And so we're going to spend a few moments meditating on Psalm 1. And I'll guide you through the process of biblical meditation as we reflect on this passage. Let's pray together. Psalm 1. Lord, we begin by refocusing. As our minds may be pulled in many directions, scattered, we pray that you would gather us. We pray with Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Lord, we want to be with you right now. Help us to hear your voice alone. As I read through the passage twice, listen for the word or phrase or image or idea that draws your attention on this day. By the power of the Spirit who leads us into all truth, may we hear the truth for us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. As I read it again, listen for the image or idea or part of the passage, the phrase or the word, the picture that connects with where you're at on your journey as the Lord leads. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now reflect on the image or idea or part of the passage that drew your attention, that grabbed your concentration, that lit up for you. Reflect on what the significance of that might be for you on this day. Ponder the picture or the part of the passage and reflect upon it. Now turn the passage into a prayer. God has started the conversation. So how do you want to respond? In the quiet of your heart, respond and pray back to God what seems to be coming up for you, what intrigues you or challenges you or encourages you or stresses you about what has come up. Talk to God about that candidly in the quiet of your heart in prayer as you respond. You may want to return to reflection or continue your response, take more time there, or you may be ready to simply rest in the passage, to sit and soak in the scripture and let that idea drop in a sense from your head to your heart, to let it sink in and soak in.
You may want to continue reflecting or responding, resting in the passage, or you may be ready to think about a resolution, an attitude or action of renewal that the Lord is inviting you to. How will you be different as a result of this time praying with scripture? Lord, we thank you for your promise that the word of God is living and active, cuts to the core of what we need to hear, what you're calling us to do, who you call us to be. Help us to become more receptive and responsive to you as the living word. So we pray with the psalmist, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, we pray that if there's something that we need to take with us through the day and pick up with you on a walk, in a quiet space, doing an activity, in conversation with a friend, may we let the word continue to speak to us and shape us. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, the living word, by the power of the spirit of truth, with the glory and greatness of God the Father. I pray this in the name of our awesome God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>